The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Anthony, how are you? Toro, hey, I feel like we haven't spoken in forever. Forever. We've done we've done other things together, but we haven't been in this space in a really long time. We haven't. And we've done two series on our own. So yep. you did the AAPI at Cornell. I did Beyond Binaries. And so yes. I think it's time for a Let's Talk episode, just me and you. What do you think? Yeah, and we have so much to share on this episode. Should we jump right in? I say let's do it. Let's go. Welcome to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. On today's show, we'll be talking about Disability Independence Day, which is celebrated on July 26th. We'll share a little bit about why we celebrate this day and share ways you could honor and celebrate it this year. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. And you're listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Before we get started, we wanted to share that since Toral and I last spoke, we have gone through a pretty good amount of changes within our department, one of them being our name. So for our listeners who may be new and tuning into the show, we used to be called the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity. Now we are called the Department of Inclusion and Belonging. Toral, do you want to share a little bit more about the new name, where it came from? what the inspiration was behind it. Yeah, so as many of you know, we've had some changes in terms of our personnel within our department, and that's allowed us to kind of change the vision and the work that our department is going to be focused on. And so by changing the title to the Department of Inclusion and Belonging, our focus will mainly remain strategic in nature, and that just really fits with the title better. Absolutely. And with our framework, Belonging at Cornell, which is our diversity-wide framework, here at the university. So just so that you all know, we are now the Department of Inclusion and Belonging. So feel free to call us DIB or D-I-B, B for boy, for short moving on. Now I feel like it's a long time since we last caught up, as we talked about. And a lot clearly has happened in the world, in the workforce. So just to get us started, I wanted to ask you, Toral, what is something you came across recently that gave you hope or inspiration related to DE and I. Yeah, so I think there is probably, I don't know, quite a few stories that I've seen in the news lately. And this is something that happened about five or six months ago, uh, but it's kind of just come back in the news recently. And it's about this athlete with Down syndromes who competed in the Ironman or who completed the Ironman. And I thought that was amazing. Is And it's really great with the topic that we're discussing today. And another one in, in similar light that stood out to me, it was a small story. I don't know that it got as much press, but there was, it's a wedding shop in England. And you know how these shops have the windows where they, they kind of advertise some of their products, but they kind of, they create a, like a beautiful window display, right? Macy's famous for creating, uh, you know, displays during the wintertime, Christmas time frame. And so this particular place is a wedding shop in England. And 
within their window display, they had, they were displaying one of their beautiful dresses, but the mannequin was actually sitting in a wheelchair. And it's not something that you see ever happening anywhere. The focus on disability and how their wedding dresses, you know, they can accommodate anybody. And so I thought it was just a unique way to advertise their wedding dresses and especially put it in a window display, which has never been done before. So it was a very small story. Again, I don't think it got the press that I think it needed, but I thought it was amazing. I thought that was very inspiring for me. How about you, Anthony? You know, it's interesting because I also, what gave me hope and inspiration recently was seeing this advertisement for this deodorant created by Degree. And so Degree just created the world's first adaptive deodorant built with a diverse disability community called Degree Inclusive. And so I saw this advertisement. It's a little bit over a minute long. There are two of them. One is showing this boxer who is boxing this individual who has a disability and him utilizing or this individual utilizing one of the products. And the second video is of somebody who is blind and also utilizing this product, which is a slight variation of the first one that was shown in the first commercial. And I just thought it was so cool because I feel like this notion of Universal design is so key to really enhancing inclusion. And so whether you work in products or even if you think about services or my line of work, the trainings that I provide, right? It's all about embedding inclusion from the jump and equity from the creation all the way from the creation to the actual execution of a training or creating a product. And so just seeing that and knowing that it was built with the disability community in mind and in consultation with them, I thought was pretty awesome. Gave me a lot of hope and inspiration, especially for just how I envision this work looking like moving forward, which we both have talked about in making sure that DE and I is just embedded into the fabric of how people do business and have people have conversations. And so just seeing that product and that commercial for me was like, okay, cool. There are other companies that are doing this, right? There are other organizations who are striving to get this work, right? But I just felt like that was one really good example. And I'll be sure to put the link in the show notes to both of those commercials if people are interested. Yeah, and I, and I felt very similarly uh, about the athlete who competed in the Ironman competition. You know, and we, we've talked about this before in our in our previous sessions in this concept of being the first, right? And so this individual is the first individual with Down syndrome to complete it. The reason why it came up for me again, and it's inspiring, you know, even six months after he actually was in the competition, was the fact that now he is a role model for others to be who are looking forward to competing in the Ironman competition themselves. I thought it was just fascinating. Yeah. And I think this this kind of nicely transitions us over into our topic for today. So... We're here to talk about National Disability Independence Day, which is coming up right around the corner. And so in order for us to do this, we are actually going to take you back a few decades. This will be a short history lesson, which we've never done before, but we felt like it was definitely necessary for this topic because we didn't want to omit certain parts of history that really led to the celebration and the recognition of this day and why this day is important. So Toral, what is this day and why is it important? I also think we should maybe cue some music for this part. What do you think? Yes, yes, I agree. Let's start with music. So National Disability Independence Day celebrates the day the Americans with Disabilities Act, also known as the ADA, was passed and signed into law by President George H.W. Bush, which was in July 26, 1990. Since then, a number of regulations, as well as an amendment in 2008, has been created to enhance the ADA. 
The ADA is important because it bans discrimination against Americans with disabilities in jobs, schools, transportation, and all public and privately owned places that are open to the general public. Before becoming law, the ADA faced lots of resistance, mostly by small business owners who were concerned about the cost of outfitting workplaces with proper facilities to accommodate disabled workers. And what's important to remember is that this piece of legislation did not happen overnight. It was decades in the making, starting with the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. This act became the first piece of U.S. legislation that banned discrimination on the basis of disability, similar to how previous civil rights laws banned discrimination based on race, ethnic origin, and sex or gender. Under this act, people with disabilities were viewed as a class, a minority group, instead of being categorized based on diagnosis, which is really important. Then the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 included Section 504, which was based on the 1964 Civil Rights Act and required the integration of people with disabilities into mainstream institutions. But from 1973 to 1977, no legislation was created, so its enforcement could not begin until the sit-ins began. Yes, and I also want to add here that sit-ins are a form of nonviolent protest that have been used really effectively. It happens when protesters seat themselves in a strategic location to protest. It could be on the street, inside a restaurant, or in front of a government building. They stay seated until their demands are met. Often, they are taken away or arrested instead, which is exactly what happened in April 1977. So because the implementation of Section 504 did not occur for years, people decided to sit in in eight federal buildings across the United States. However, the one in San Francisco lasted the longest. It lasted for 28 days and was critical in forcing the signing of the regulation. It began with a rally outside the federal building. Then people marched inside where between one and 200 people would remain until the end. Well, let's take a moment here because... 28 days? That's a long time to be sitting in a federal building. So, did it get passed? It did. That's it then, right? People with disabilities have equal access and protection under the law? Yes, but, right, there's always a but. It took a lot more than one sit-in, or the eight sit-ins that we just talked about for this to actually happen. So about two weeks into the sit-in, the protest leaders realized that in order to succeed, they would need more national attention. And as a result, 25 people traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with groups on the East Coast and put more pressure on the politicians. Protesters had meetings with congressional representatives, which was a challenge at the time since many federal buildings, including the Capitol, were not accessible for people in wheelchairs. Ultimately, the legislation was signed on April 28, 1977. Now, this piece of legislation was passed in 1977. But between 1977 and 1990, there were many attempts by politicians to deregulate Section 504. 504 of the Rehab Act is what would ultimately form the basis of what would become the ADA. As a result of politicians trying to deregulate Section 504 and not make buildings and other public spaces accessible, there was another protest in 1990 known as the Capitol Crawl. So in March of 1990, the ADA seemed like another piece of legislation that was going to be stalled in Congress. An organization known as ADAPT, also known as American Disabled for Attendant Programs today, 
held a march from the White House to the steps of the Capitol. During this march, 60 disability activists with physical disabilities shed their crutches, wheelchairs, power chairs, and other assistive devices and proceeded to crawl up all 78 west side steps of Capitol. A tour of the Capitol that ADAPT had arranged turned into a meeting in the Capitol Rotunda between ADAPT and the House Speaker and the House Minority Leader. Although the action resulted in the arrest of 104 grassroots demonstrators, the Capitol crawl pushed the ADA bill out of the committee and onto the Congress floor. And on July 26, 1990, President George Bush signed the Americans with Disability Act during a ceremony on the South Lawn of the White House. This included Reverend Harold H. Wilk, who used his feet to hand the president a pen to sign the bill. This is an incredible story and one that I think gets forgotten about when it comes to, in general, the importance of protests to really create action and sign pieces of legislation into law. Did you know about this history, Toral? I did not. So, Anthony, I'm in the same boat as you. It was embar- you know, embarrassed to not know the history. I obviously I knew about the law, and I've known pieces, you know, bits and pieces about the law. I had no idea about Section 504. I did not know anything about the Capitol crawl. And so, like you, as I learned, as I did my own research, it's so much that I learned about how this law became into being. Right. Yeah. So, just as a wrap up, just so that folks are following us in terms of the history. So July 26th celebrates the day that the Americans with Disabilities Act got signed back in 1990. And so one of the things I wanted to ask Toral and have a conversation about is really thinking about how maybe the ways in which ADA has helped shape you or your life or maybe the lives of those around you, your loved ones, friends, family. And I can start first by just sharing when my grandma was alive just knowing that a lot of the spaces that she accessed when I went with her were accessible. And I often think about just the action of simply pressing that wheelchair button, right, in buildings for it to automatically open. And I would do that for her a lot. And now, currently, my mom, she's temporarily disabled. She broke her ankle a few months back. And it's just been an interesting journey just knowing that even to this day, right, even with the access to buildings, that have been incorporated in spaces like hospitals and other public spaces, it still proves to be a challenge for her, right? As somebody who is temporarily disabled. And so I just think about knowing that that one button in the building was created due to this act and due to this law and piece of legislation. Like, had it not been for that, how would both my grandma and my mother access public spaces? Like, I have no idea. And it's still, even now to this day, it's still challenging for them in many ways still, right? To be able to then sit down in a public facility with my mom initially with her broken ankle she had to use a scooter and so she had to use a scooter that lifted her knee and it was a challenge for her to be able to utilize the scooter and to go up and down hills if there were any present and so I just think about things like that that were created as a result of the ADA right in terms of accessibility in public spaces and I just think that's that's so powerful and that's so meaningful and in hearing this story again the history the activism and the activists that put their own bodies on the line because they just wanted greater access to resources and to buildings and to spaces. So I don't know, it, it kind of hits me on an emotional level because I'm like, wow, like this was created as a result of things like the Capitol crawl, things like the section 504 sit-in is what it's called from 1977. Like I think all of that to me, just the power of activism to 
get things signed into law just so that people can have access to resources and buildings and spaces. I think that's just a beautiful story to tell and to really highlight. Yeah. And and for me, Anthony, I think like, as I told you earlier, I was doing my own research. And the one thing that's kind of been standing out to me as I've been reading more and more is this concept. I keep coming back to it. It's this concept of the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Right. And I think this applies to, to any law that comes out. And I feel as though there is a much more bigger focus on the letter of the law. Right. And so we talked a little bit earlier about how people were not in favor of moving the ADA law forward because of all the changes that they would have to make to the physical spaces, which costs a lot of money, right? And so even after the law was signed in, you know, at least in my research, what I noticed is that people followed the law, but it was, again, to the letter of the law, right? So it was at the bare minimum and not to the spirit of the law, which is how, you know, for me, what I think of it is like the minimum, which is required by law versus how good things can really be, right? If you kind of follow the spirit of the law. And so I agree with you that I think the changes from the section 504 and the capital crawl, the law has has made significant changes in how we design buildings and how we, you know, design technology. But I think that if we actually look at the law and kind of move towards following it in the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, I always feel like there's still so much work that needs to be done. We talked a little bit about what can we do, you know, from an employee perspective, right? How can we challenge ourselves to become more aware? And so even basic things like when we're creating documents, like identifying are those accessible when we create PowerPoint presentations or PDFs, are they accessible? Just kind of keeping that thought in mind when you're working through that. Other things that I think we've done here within our own department, we did a a challenge related to diversity inclusion. And one thing we challenged everybody to do is actually take an accessible route to work, right? And so granted that within, you know, your your morning, your building, your your own house might not be accessible. But when you get to work, where your car is parked all the way to your office, take an accessible route. And what did that do? And I think something that I realized is just how much longer it took me. Because, you know, when I didn't have to think about accessibility, I could take all the shortcuts. And then when I thought or added my accessibility lens and couldn't take all those necessary shortcuts that I was taking before, I just realized how much longer it took me to get to work. Because the shortcuts, I'm assuming, had like steps and yes, or cut through this parking lot or, or, you know, through this little section over here that's, you know, maybe has grass on it or something like that. And if I was in a wheelchair, I might not be able to go through that area. And so then when I take the accessible route, I realized just how much longer it takes for me to get to work. Yeah. No, those are some great resources. And I remember doing that diversity challenge. So great resources. And I remember seeing that and being like, wow, like, that would be challenging. So I heard the same comments from a number of people as well who chose that specific action. I think a lot about how I became much more informed about disability was through my work in this role, particularly with managing the website updates. So special shout out to IT, CIT here at Cornell that has an abundance of experts and information about web accessibility. So if you just type in the search web accessibility Cornell, you can access a lot of that information. And they have a lot of information and resources exactly to your point around how to create documents accessible when you're creating a new website or managing content. What are just some things you'd want to consider? And for this series in particular, we've created transcripts for each and every episode so that people with various abilities can listen to and get access to the show and to the contents of the show. So these are just some specific things. And I think these are just some of the ways in which we can really honor and celebrate National Disability Independence Day every year. 
And I just also would encourage people to, as I said earlier, just really think about inclusion and equity and access from the jump of whenever you're doing anything. So really thinking about as you're creating this content or as you're creating this product, for the example with degree, like how are we thinking about access and can everybody with various disabilities access these particular resources? So that's just what I'm taking away from this conversation, from learning about the history of the ADA, how it got passed, and what I hope other folks will hopefully resonate with as well. What about you, Toro? What's your final word? So Anthony, I agree with everything that you said. What I would encourage people to do is just continue their own individual learnings. And so one of the things that you can do is learn about your own biases. There is a implicit bias test that you could take to learn about your biases. And there's one particularly related to disability. And so we'll include that link to that in our show notes as well for you to continue your learning. Well, that's it for today's show. And just as a friendly reminder, we love it when you reach out to us to tell us about the impact that this podcast has had on you, whether it's at work or in your personal lives. Please be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast.